0: Amen. How are we doing this morning? Good, good. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Jonah. I'm just going to go ahead and uh, throw it out there. The table of contents is at the very beginning. There's no judgment here. All right? The book of Jonah is kind of tucked away, one of those smaller books. I'm going to give you a second, and then I'll pray for us. And we'll dive into the scriptures together. Hmm. Father God, we just come before you this morning and we are so grateful for your grace, God. Lord, we so often take it for granted that you are a, a God of grace and a God of faithfulness and a God of goodness that, Lord, in spite of us, you want us and you love us. And God, Lord, you... God, you've given us the opportunity to praise you. You've given us the opportunity to offer our lives up, like Scripture says, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you, God. It's our spiritual act of worship. And God, we've musically come before you today, and we have declared, Lord, let your praise ever be on our lips, God. Lord, we want to live out what the psalmist said in Psalm sixty-three. Oh God, you are my God, early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you and my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. I'll remember you in your tabernacle. My lips will praise you and I will bless you. I'll lift my hands up and be satisfied. That's what we want the theme of our life to be, God. So this morning as we come together to read the scripture, I pray that you would stir our affections for your glory, that you would allow us to see into the word, God, that you would open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to receive all that you have for us. Don't let us miss a thing this morning. In Jesus' name and everybody together said, amen. Amen. All right, this is, I I want to just let you know the plan and then we'll move through the text. I'm going to read you the whole first chapter of Jonah. All right, it's a chunk. So hang with me and then we're going to kind of break it down. I only have um, six points this morning. I know we usually do three. I only have six today. So just "'Arise, call out to your God. "'Perhaps the God will give a thought to us "'that we may not perish. "'And they said one to another, "'Come, let us cast lots, "'that we may know on whose account "'this evil has come upon us.' "'So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. "'And they said to him, "'Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. "'What is your occupation? "'Where do you come from? "'What is your country? "'And of what people are you?' "'And he said to them, "'I'm a Hebrew.' And I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is it that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. I told you, I'm reading you the whole chapter, so just hang with me. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not his innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. All right. We're through chapter 1. How many of you have heard that story before? The story of Jonah. How many of you heard it probably for the first time in Sunday school as a child? All right, when I was thinking about this text, when I was thinking about the book of Jonah, I was like, what are we telling our kids? When you think about the nightmares, like, yeah, they had this dude, and he was running from God, so they just threw him into the ocean, and he was swallowed by a fish. I'm like, that is a horror movie for a five-year-old. Point number one, I want you to jot this down this morning. Jonah was a real man, and Nineveh was a real place. Sometimes Jonah is reduced to allegory, Occasionally it's just reduced to a parable. Sometimes it's just reduced to a nursery rhyme. And we we paint wells on the walls of our nurseries, right? And Jonah is like, that thing swallowed him. He was a real man. And I want you to know this because check this out. 2 Kings 14.25, you say, T.J., are you sure about this? Yeah, I want to give you some historical references. 2 Kings 14.25, he was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from lebo to the Dead Sea. In accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel spoke through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, prophet from Gath-Hefir. So, Jonah was a real person and Nineveh was a real place. I want to give you a snapshot of Nineveh. Nineveh was a bad city. I mean, they were just some bad dudes. Their enemies, if they didn't like you, they would bury you up to your neck in sand and just kind of leave you in the sun to bake. They were torturers and tormentors. And their city was, I mean, it was wall a wall a hundred foot high. I mean, there were millions of people in this city and there were towers that were 250 feet high and you could run three chariots like literally three chariots wide you could run them around the city this place was like bad news game of thrones pg version you know what i'm saying like not the pg version if you've ever watched it you should watch the pg version right no judgment But, its I mean, it was that archaic, that that kind of brutality, right? And Jonah, God's like, Jonah, listen, this is what I want you to do. I, I want you to go there and I want you to call out against them. And if you do that, they're going to repent. They're going to turn to me. And this morning, what I want to do for just a few minutes, I want to think about Nineveh, this terribly wicked city. And I want to talk about Jonah for a minute. But the point of the story, and I want you to wrap this around your heart and mind, the point of the story is not Nineveh, and the point of the story is not Jonah. The point of the story is a God who wants to redeem His people. So here we go. Verse 1 and 2, God's call. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Arise, go to Nineveh, this great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. God's word. I want you to hear this if you're taking notes. God's word is non-negotiable. Jonah shows the sinfulness of man, knowing that God had a plan, but thinking that he could circumvent it. God's word is non-negotiable. Jonah, I have this plan for you. I have this plan for your life. I'm going to use you. And Jonah knew that God would use him because, listen, Jonah thought a lot of himself. He was a prophet. There had been a time in his life, we just read it from the 2 Kings chapter 14, where Jonah stood up and said, Thus saith the Lord, the Lord is going to do so and so. And then the Lord does so and so. And Jonah's like, Told you. So he's a pretty confident dude. He's a pretty confident guy. But in this moment of his pride, he thinks, man, maybe I can just negotiate with the Word of God. I know that God's called me to do this. I know that God has this calling on my life, but it really doesn't fit into my plan. It doesn't really fit into my routine. So maybe I can just kind of get around the call of God. Maybe I can just circumvent the call of God. Maybe I can do what I want to do, and what I want to do is get the heck out of Dodge because I don't want to go to Nineveh. And think about how monumental this calling. It would be as if God was saying, hey Jonah, what I want you to do, I want you to go up to Hitler's front door. I want you to knock on Hitler's front door and say, hey Hitler, God loves you and he wants to save you. Repent. In his mind, and his heart, he knows, man, this is, I'm going to be neck deep in sand, baking in the sun tomorrow. I'm not going to Nineveh. But I want you to hear me say this. There's nothing, absolutely nothing, that you and I can do to circumvent the plan of God. Proverbs sixteen nine: The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs nineteen twenty one: Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. See, we have our plans. But God has a purpose. I want to tell you a little story. Our little bee goes home Tuesday. Um, he, our foster child. He's been in care with us for right at two years, and uh, Taylor and I, she's, uh, she's the most incredible mom I've ever seen in my life, and and uh, and and I've got to be daddy for two years, and, and and this coming Tuesday he's going home. We've been able to care for him and love on him and share the gospel with him. But I remember at the beginning getting into foster care, Taylor was like, "Hey, I, I think God has this this thing for us to do," and I was like. I got a plan, babe. Like my plan is this five-year financial plan where it allows me to kind of hunt all over the country and, and kind of do my thing, and I've got this plan, right? Like this whole foster situation, don't really, it doesn't really work into my plan. I've, I've got a plan, and in the midst of that, God just grabbed my heart. He was like, you might have a plan, TJ, but I have a purpose for your life. You may be sitting there today and you may feel this God-sized call on your heart. Maybe it's even just the call to salvation. God drawing you to himself, wanting you to repent of your sin and turn to him. But God, I've got all these plans. Have all the plans you want. But God has an incredible purpose for your life today. His word is not mere suggestions, anecdotes, or cliches to sticky note to our desk or slap on a piece of sports tape. His Word isn't just catchy phrases that we can proof text and slap on a piece of sports tape or put on a sticky note or on a bumper sticker. Listen, His Word is life, and His statutes are life-giving. See, what we notice in the story of Jonah, that when he ran away from the word of the Lord, when he ran away from the call of God, he ran towards the storm. He ran towards a sea that was tempestuous. He ran towards destruction. Away from the word of God is towards destruction. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 119, 103-104. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. From your precepts I gain understanding, therefore I hate every false way. He got it. The psalmist got it. Oh God, your word is like honey on my lips. It is so sweet to my taste. And sometimes it's like medicine. It doesn't taste very good, but God let it go down and get in my heart. God has a purpose. God has a plan. And there's absolutely nothing that you and I can do to circumvent the plan and call of God on our lives. Point number three, if you're taking notes. Point number one was, Jonah was a real man, Nineveh was a real place. Point number two is God's call. And God's call is non-negotiable. Point number three is Jonah runs. Listen to three, three, six. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And, and I'll just paraphrase since you've already heard me read it one time. But the Lord brought a great storm against Jonah and all the mariners that were on the boat. But Jonah went down into the bottom of the boat and he just began to sleep. Jonah ran from the very presence and the very grace of God. And there's three ways that he ran this morning that I I want to show you how a lot of times in our own lives we're very similar to Jonah. Number one, he ran geographically. Let's kind of paint it like this. Here's Joppa. Jonah's kicking it in Joppa, doing his Jonah thing, living the prophet life, doing it big, you know, right here in Joppa. 550 miles away you have Nineveh. God says, Jonah, I want you to stop kicking your prophet life here in Joppa, and I want you to sell to Nineveh, and I want you to declare this word against them. Now you have Tarshish, which is 2,500 miles the other direction. And Jonah is so willing and so desiring to get away from the presence of the Lord and to get away from the word of the Lord and to run from God that rather than surrendering to a, two, to a 550 mile trip to Nineveh he launches out for 2,500 miles I want to put as much distance between me and God as I can I want to put as much distance between me and that call that word as I can and listen, sometimes it's the same for you and I I don't know if you've ever been there, but I've been there before, maybe in the grocery store, rocking the cart, going down the aisle, and you see somebody that you know the Lord might want you to speak to or share the gospel with, or maybe you're at the gas pump, or you see somebody standing on the corner with a sign, and you know you're supposed to reach out to them, and you're just kind of like, anybody been there? It's like, oh man, I forgot coffee beans, right? And so you go back to the other end of the store, Taylor's like, we don't have a coffee grinder. We need beans though. Why? Geographically, we think, if I can move away from the call of God, then then, then maybe this will just kind of pass by. Sometimes it's socially as well, though. Jonah didn't just run from God geographically. He ran from God socially. Think about where Jonah was. There's this ship with all these dudes, and they're all hanging out, and they're kicking it and rowing and doing whatever mariners did back then, you know, whatever Jack Sparrow kind of deal. And he's in the bottom of the boat sleeping. And I begin to think about that. Why? Because he knew if he was on the deck, someone would say, hey, Jonah, what do you, what do, you do for a living? I'm a prophet? Really? Has God said anything lately? Now I'm supposed to go to Nineveh. Jonah, why are you here? See, but don't we do the same thing? When we're walking in our secret sins, sometimes when we're struggling with our own sin and our own mess, we avoid the people that we know are going to hold us accountable, don't we? Don't we? Uh, listen to what Scripture says. Proverbs 18.1 One who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rejects all sound judgment. See, Jonah didn't just run geographically, but he was also running socially. Man, if I can just get away from people that know who I'm supposed to be, if I can get away from people who know the the man of God that I am, if I can just kind of isolate myself, I'll be okay. It's kind of like this. I started working out recently. I know you guys can't tell, and that's totally okay. All right, but I started working out, and one of my, my coaches is actually here visiting today. which was pretty cool, but it's kind of like if I would see that dude in Publix, and I'm rocking a couple bear claws, I'm going to go the other way, aren't I? You know what I'm saying? Like socially, we want to, we want to run. We want to hide our shame, and that's what Jonah was doing. I'm going to go down here and I'm going to sleep, and I'm just going to kind of sleep my life away. And some of you may be in that place in your own life. You may be saying, you know what, I, I, I can't be around my Christian friends. I can't be around people who are going to influence me positively because I know where I'm sinning, and I kind of just want to sleep through this. I'm just going to kind of sleepwalk through life for a while. I'm going to get in the bottom of the ship, away from people, and away from people who are going to call me out on my sin and call me up to the person of God God wants me to be. I'm just going to chill over here all by myself. And we run from God socially, we run geographically, but sometimes we also just run spiritually. We know God's called us to be in the Word and in prayer, but man, if I go to God in prayer, ugh, I know I'm going to have to confess some sin, right? Like if, I, if I go to the Bible, I know God's going to speak to my heart. Right now, I just kind of want to do my own thing. I just kind of want to rock the prophet life in Joppa and run to Tarshish and do my own thing. Sometimes we run geographically, we run spiritually, and we run, we run socially from God. But I want you to hear me say this today. There is nowhere that we can run that we can outrun the grip of God's grace. You say, T.J., well, you don't know how far I've ran, man. You don't know how ugly my sin is. You don't know how deep my stains are. You don't know what my mind battles have been like, T.J. You don't know about the infidelity in my life, or the, you know, T.J. You don't know about the the, the money that I've stole, T.J. You don't know about the things that I've done behind people's back, T.J. You don't know really how nasty my sin is. I feel like the only thing that I have left to do is isolate myself, to run geographically, to run socially, to run spiritually. Can I tell you what this morning? No matter how dark and how stained life has gotten for you, there is a God who is chasing you, loving you, and wanting you. Point number four, let's move on. There's always a cost to sin. show you kind of as we walk through this story. Jonah, Scripture says Jonah paid a fare to get on the boat. So financially, it's costing Jonah. But it also cost him intimacy with the Lord. What a cost. I mean, think about the place that Jonah was in his life. Jonah was at a place where the Lord would just kind of pop up and be like, Yo, Jonah, what's happening? I want you to go and do this. Jonah would be like, Okay, God. This intimate relationship of conversation, not like you and I hear from God. This is a whole different level. This is prophet style. We read the scripture and we're like, oh, I think, I think God's saying this to me. God's like, yo, Jonah. And in an instant when he ran from him, he sacrificed that intimacy. It cost him intimacy with the Lord. It cost him His own money. But check this out. This is something that I noticed in the text that I want you to see too. It cost others around him. See, sometimes we think that when we run from God or when we fall into our own sin or we just wallow in our own pity party of sin, that it just cost us something. But Scripture says that all the mariners begin to throw everything overboard. All the mariners, they were chunking everything. Man, if it was produce, if it was their belongings, it was their clothes, it was their artifacts, family heirlooms, it didn't matter. They were just trying to stay alive. So they were throwing everything over. So hear me say this, dads, moms, friends, brothers, sisters in Christ. Today, when we think that our sin is only hurting us, what we don't realize is that we're really costing the people around us as well. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. The cost of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The cost of sin is so great. But before I move on to the last two points, I want you to hear this. Christ paid your bill. The sin that you had racked up against God was so great so dirty, so stained, and so nasty. Every single one of us, me, you, all of us, we had racked up this sin debt. And Christ Jesus, by His grace, Christ Jesus, by His mercy, paid the bill on our behalf. The wages of sin is death. We all deserve death, destruction, and hell. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. He loves you. He's chasing you this morning. Let's move on. Point number five, if you're taking notes. The grip of God's grace is not always comfortable, but it's always there. I want to show you, too, one thing in the text before we move on, and this is free. Um, In verse 13, it says, when the seas were rough and Jonah was like, guys, you're going to have to throw me overboard. Verse 13 says, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew great. Listen, I want you to hear this. Unbelievers were willing to do more for the man of God than the man of God was willing to do for unbelievers. I'm going to say that statement one more time. Unbelievers were willing to do for the man of God what the man of God was not willing to do for unbelievers. Unbelievers. These men did not know God, they did not know Christ, they were not, they were not Israelites, they were not chosen, they had no relationship with Yahweh at the time, and they tried to preserve Jonah's life. They worked really, really hard. And I'm afraid sometimes, and I told you all this is free, this isn't even a point, sometimes I fear it's the same thing in our today culture. Unbelievers are so much more willing to show grace, compassion, kindness, community, and family than the church. Because oftentimes the church is sleepwalking in the lower decks. So oftentimes the church is not living up to the man or woman of God that God called them to be. So oftentimes the church is running 2,500 miles the other way when God just wants us to go to Nineveh. All that was free. Point number five. The grip of God's grace is not always comfortable, but it is always there. God could have separated himself from Jonah. See, God could have said this. Yeah, okay, I'll pick somebody else. I've done it before, right? I mean, he, he look back. I made a donkey talk one time in the Old Testament. Jonah, I don't, I don't need you. I can, I'll just separate myself from you, Jonah. God could have done that. God could have allowed the ship to sink. He could allow Jonah to perish. He could have said, okay, Jonah, you're going to get what you deserve. You you run from me and you're going to get what you deserve. You're going to get death. But by God's grace, he chased Jonah down and had him thrown overboard so that he could have some one on one time. I mean, think about it. Jonah is running from God. In the middle of his sin, absolutely rebelling against God. What God should have done, being God, right? In my mind, I'm like, he disobeyed, right? Kill the dude. God's like, no, I'm just going to have these these fools throw him overboard so that I can have some one-on-one time with him in the belly of a whale. Because at the end of the day, what's amazing is that even in the midst of our running, God just wants intimacy with us. In the midst of our rebellion... In the midst of us doing our own thing, in the midst of us rejecting God, God's just, I want you back. God's chasing us down with grace. And sometimes in the moment, I want you to hear this, sometimes we think God is trying to kill us. Man, you look at... You look at the situation he was in. The waves are crashing around. He's caused all the shame and guilt of causing all these men to lose their belongings and possessions. And then the shame of them realizing he's supposed to be a man of God. And look at him, flat on his back. Rebellious. Jonah and oftentimes, us in life, we think God might be trying to kill us when the waves and winds begin to howl, and all of life comes crashing down around us. But what we don't realize is God is positioning us for a deeper, closer, and more dependent relationship with Him than ever before. See, so you think, man, man, the boat's about to break apart and the waves are crashing, and all those mariners think, man, we're about to throw this guy over and he's done for. And what they didn't realize is that in the midst of his disobedience,